Theological education should be accessible. In the past, men have had to leave their local churches to train for the ministry. At Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, you can now complete a seminary education while staying in your own church and being mentored by your own pastor. For more information on how you can receive informed scholarship with Pastoral Heart, check out our website, cbtseminary.org. You are listening to Particular Pilgrims, stories from Reformed Baptist history with commentary. I'm your host, Ron Miller, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church of Clarksville, Tennessee, and a longtime student and collector of Particular Baptist history. We're on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. A few episodes ago, we looked at one of the causes William Kiffin defended— that of free trade for English merchants, and we noted that he was generally known as a peacemaker concerned with fairness and opportunity for others. Of course, as a prominent citizen and Protestant dissenter through many decades of the turbulent 1600s in London, he had a variety of views that divided him from the establishment. But his positions were almost always representative of the majority of those we are calling particular Baptists. He led in this. He did not follow fashion. And so as we look at more of his debates and divides with others, we can learn about what a typical particular Baptist believed in 17th century England. An interesting place to start would be the vexed question of the relationship of church and state. In that day, practical questions such as the following would have been debated. Should there be liberty of religion, or toleration, or no liberty of conscience? What role should the king play in the church? Should the civil government enforce at any level the first four commandments or some form of Christianity? Should Jews and Mahatmatans, that is, Muslims, be allowed into the country? Should Catholics be permitted any presence or practice in the nation? What should be done with heretics? Should Christians take up arms against the government? Many other issues could be added to this. What were Kiffin's answers to these questions? Well, since he didn't write a book on the subject, we can only form an idea based on his responses to specific real-life situations. So let's look at several of these and approximate an answer and we'll take them in reverse order. So first, what about Christians, and more specifically, dissenters, taking up arms to overthrow the existing government? Did Kiffin believe this could be justified? The answer from his life is repeatedly no. Kiffin several times led groups of people, quote, falsely called Anabaptists, to address the English ruler on this subject. When a religious political group called the Fifth Monarchy Movement was influencing Irish Baptists to consider revolting against Oliver Cromwell, Kiffin responded by writing a letter urging them to peace. He noted that, according to Scripture, they were to be subject to all civil powers, they being of God. It is likely that he was especially concerned that those of the baptized way not be further identified with the violent Anabaptists of Munster from a century earlier. Baptists didn't need to give their enemies any further reason to associate them together. While this letter calmed 
things. A few years later, Kiffin actually attended a Baptist meeting in Western England where he had to persuade delegates not to pursue a similar course. A few years later, when Charles II came to the throne, Kiffin led a delegation of Baptists to clearly show their support for him as their lawful ruler. Several publications declared their commitment to him as England's rightful king. In these, Kiffin and his co-signers protested against anything that could be construed as, quote, insurrection, treason, or rebellion. This commitment was tested when the Rye House plot to assassinate King Charles and his brother James was foiled in 1683. One of Kiffin's sons-in-law, a man named Joseph Hayes, was arrested and put on trial for his life for treason against the king. Against all human odds and the manipulations of the presiding Judge Jeffreys, Hayes was acquitted by the jury. There is no reason to think Hayes or Kiffin were guilty in this matter. So Kiffin's position, both written and practiced, appears to be well-defined and consistent. Or is it? There are other events we should consider that at least temper its apparent simplicity. For example, when King Charles II died, his brother James came to the throne. James was a known Roman Catholic. He was the rightful heir to the throne in most people's minds, but his Romanism worried many. Would he put England back under the thumb of the Pope 150 years after Henry VIII had liberated her? Roman Catholicism at the time was not considered merely a religion, but also a potent, enslaving civil power. Now, Kiffin knew James personally and treated the king with respect, but his support of the king was tested. When James came out in favor of religious freedom for dissenters, which would have included not only Baptists like Kiffin, but others such as Catholics, Kiffin opposed this. Some Baptists, like Nehemiah Cox and William Collins, actively supported the efforts of Parliament to approve the king's idea, but Kiffin apparently thought that James's support for religious freedom was a ploy to reintroduce Romanism in England. So did Kiffin also believe that James should be replaced as the monarch? There is no direct data to suggest he personally did anything to undermine the king, but two of his grandsons, Benjamin and William Hewling, aged about 21 and 19, both joined an insurrection to replace James as king. The illegitimate son of Charles II, a man named James Scott, also known as the Duke of Monmouth, led a rebellion against King James. Monmouth gathered several thousand poorly armed men, almost all dissenters, in the west of England. The king's army confronted them and quickly overwhelmed them. Hundreds of Monmouth's men were captured. Some were shot immediately, others hung, more held over for trials, infamously known as the Bloody Assizes or the Bloody Courts. The two young Hewlings were jailed for trial. Kiffin tried several times to pay a fine for their deliverance, but that same Judge Jeffreys, known as the Hanging Judge, rejected every attempt at softening their punishment. He is said to have told William Hewling, you have a grandfather who deserves to be hanged as richly as you. 
after both young men were hanged. Kiffin personally told King James of his grief, who then promised him a, a balsam, that is, a relief for it. None could be given, of course. There is no evidence that Kiffin knew of or participated in this plot, but did he really think James was the legitimate ruler? Would he have supported his overthrow? A few years later, James was overthrown in the Glorious Revolution in which William and Mary took the English throne. Kiffin surely rejoiced that a Protestant was on the throne, and he quickly showed his support for the new ruler. When the new king and queen came to London, Kiffin immediately welcomed them on behalf of his fellow Baptists. He also gave them a personal gift of 500 pounds. Unmistakably, he was glad the old Catholic king was gone and the new Protestant rulers were in place. So despite public statements in support of the reigning ruler, Kiffin held other competing or balancing belief commitments as well. He loved Protestantism and freedom from popish control over England. Political intrigue was not far away from the wealthy Baptist merchant. Kiffin seems to have experienced what many Christians throughout the ages have, and we do today, the tension between submitting to those God placed in governance over us and a religious commitment that sometimes seemed to conflict with those rulers. Thank you for listening today. This is Ron the Baptist wishing you grace and peace. Thank you.